Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAF, the Strength and Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. My name is David Rosales, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Potenza, and our guest for another episode of the SCAF alumni series, Peter Renzetti. Coach Renzo, as he's commonly referred to, is a self-proclaimed old-school strength coach and is a 40-year veteran of strength conditioning. He was the longtime strength coach of the Detroit Red Wings and currently serves teams and athletes who seek him out in the Toronto area. A key theme that has come up over the course of these over a dozen now alumni series episodes is the importance of not getting stuck into one camp of thinking, one group of thinking, to keep your mind open about learning from, from different people, processes, programs. And Coach Rendo is someone who you may not agree with everything he says. He's, he's very opinionated on, on his stances, and he clearly thinks things through, though. And there's a, lot to, there's a lot to say for learning from someone who you don't agree with everything with. And even if you don't, don't agree with his overall philosophy, his overall approach to training, there are a lot of tidbits, tactics, methods that I think anyone, any strength coach can take from this episode. He's a very well-spoken guy. He's really fun, awesome dude, reads a lot of books. In this episode, we talk about what he learned from everyone from Pavel Datsuk to Louis Simmons. We discuss his 5-10-5 rule, which is a great framework if you work in a team setting. We even, for the first time in a while, throw out some big periodization terms. So if you're interested in programming, we do get into that a little bit. This is an episode that will challenge your thinking and your philosophy around coaching. So without further ado, here is Mike Potenza and Coach Renzo Peter Renzetti. Peter, welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast. Thank you so much for joining Mike and I. How are you? Awesome. Happy to, uh, happy to be here with you guys. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Yeah, thanks for coming. I guess this is the, uh, the dinosaur series, I guess, eh? That's <laughs> the dinosaur edition. We like the term alumni. It's a little nicer, but yeah. I, <laughs> we call it the fine, wine, the fine wine series. You know, they get better yeah, with yeah. it. So. There we go. There we go. I, I want to start... Uh, reading up on you some of the mentors you've had is just mind-blowing astounding just absolute legends not not even hockey just in all of completely changed fitness and strength conditioning charlie francis louis simmons even mentioned some eastern block strength coaches i, I want to start with louis simmons for people who don't know him he's the founder of Westside barbell legendary strength coach how did how did that relationship form place us in context what year are we around what are you doing at this time and, and how did you meet Louie and how did you end up building a relationship with him? Um, so uh, I'm trying to remember when, um, so this would be going back into, I guess the, the early, early 2000s. So I, I come, uh, my bias is, is strength. Um, for me, strength is king. Um, you know, I live by the motto, you can't fake strong. So, um, all the other stuff that we do uh, and all the, I guess, the evolution of the strength and conditioning industry, for me, it always goes back to strength. So I've always been a strength guy. Um, I, I came across some West Side stuff and, you know, right around 2000, maybe 2001 or two, um, got turned on to Louie and uh, tried to find as much of his stuff as I could. I think there were a couple of videos or maybe DVDs back in the day uh i shared or i got from a couple of my colleagues who were also power lifters um and one thing led to another and this is where you know it's funny i've, I've been 39 years in the industry i don't have a website never had a business card don't have anything um i've sort of just been underground and uh, doing my thing and uh you know the people who need me find me and uh and it kind of works well that way um because you it's an automatic way to screen your clients. So I guess once in a while I would try and flex the NHL um, card. And so I just reached out to Louie and, uh, you know, said I was going to be in Columbus. And uh, the guy was so humble, so generous. Um, it's funny. He's, he's got a soft spot for sports that he hadn't, I guess, primarily done a lot of work with. He's so over and done with football. It's funny to hear him talk about football guys. He's just bored to tears with it. I guess he's done so much and there's so many knuckleheads around. And um, he was really curious. So he was fantastic. And, um, uh, you know, so got to go see him. Uh, I also want to see some of his equipment. For me, it was just like, uh, it was like going to Mecca, you know, like you check it off on your, your, your list. Just even if 
if he never had a said anything and he just let me walk around and breathe in that space, um, it's unbelievable, you know, and it's, it's one thing to, you know, watch video or, or see guys, you know, squat a thousand pounds. It's another thing to see them in life squat a thousand pounds and some of the things they could do. And, uh, you know, one of the very first things he, he did was he had one of the guys in the gym who was warming up. I don't know what he was doing in the corner guy was, I don't know, about 300 pounds. And, uh, we were talking about, you know, rate of force production and things like that. And Louis amazing. He, I call him the rain man. He just, you know, you, you, you wind him up and then you just let him talk and you sit back and you try and take it in. Cause he goes a million miles an hour. He's his memory for numbers is unbelievable. He can tell you what every lifter did for every set at every step of his career and how much band tension and this and that and the other. So he's just going and going and going. And we're talking about, you know, speed and power and force and calls this big hulk of a man over and cold. The guy walks over and jumps onto a 50 inch box. And I just looked at that. I thought, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm all in now. If I, if I wasn't in before I'm, I'm all in now, give me your stuff. And, um, you know, so I, I got to meet him a few times. I went down uh, with another buddy of mine who was uh, uh, into that four-letter word thing they call CrossFit, but um, uh, which is another issue. But he he went down to do a course. Um, uh, Shane Sweat and Laura Phelps, his wife, were there, um, and obviously they were students of Louis as part of this course. So then I got to go back there and and hang out with Louis and. I mean, the guy's amazing. Like, like I remember I had, uh, um, I call my truck Rocky. It's got 500,000 kilometers on it. Just won't go down. And, and I remember my old truck at the time was just like Rocky that I have now. It was an old Honda CRV and a million miles on it. And, uh, um, I had a breakdown. So I, I told Louie in the morning, I said, look, I'm going to have to sneak out. I'm going to miss this middle section. Cause my car broke down. I got to go pick it up before they close the garage. It was on a weekend. And he's like, no, nah, you're not going anywhere, man. He he jumps out, tells somebody to take over, throws me in his car, takes me over. You know, that's just, he's just, he's like your grandpa, man. He he uh, just cares about people, was so anxious to talk and share information and any time that I could get around him. So I managed, you know, a couple of times through the years when the team was passing through Columbus to try and sneak up to his gym. and. Uh, you know, get to spend a little bit of time with them. The guy, the guy was amazing. The guy was just absolutely amazing. And one of the biggest things I think he's like so many of the other guys that I met over the years. Um, the, the to me, the true greats, um, they never tell you how good they are. They don't care. They got no ego. They just do their thing. And and to me, Louis is a pure. As much as he's sort of like the the rain man of of knowledge. Um, He's a gym rat, man. He just lives in the gym and, and wants to be in the gym and help people get better. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny. Mike might, uh, you know, attest to this too. I'm old, um, no question about it. I've been around. And so sometimes I get young guys, especially, you know, when they want to put some distance between themselves or me or think it's like a put, the, oh, he's old school. Renzetti, he's old school. He's old school. I wear that as a, as a big badge on my chest. Cause to me, old school means you're accountable. Um, you're about results. You treat people right. Um, and, and maybe the most important thing is like I was starting to say that I learned from Louie is, and, and other guys, Charlie Francis was like this. They were so generous with their time. Um, you know, they learned from other people, um, you know, I like to think I've learned a lot from a lot of people who are way smarter than me. How I package that, maybe that's a bit of my own thing. You know, I take bits and pieces that I can uh, understand and use. Uh, sometimes guys are too smart for me and I don't understand their stuff. So it takes a while to get through this rockhead. But, you know, they um, they just pass on, they, you know, live, learn and pass on, right? And uh, make people better. And um uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think I read Arnold Schwartz. I don't know if, if, if Arnold invented this saying. Um, I remember reading something that he was talking about standing on the shoulders of giants. And um, you wrote that in the forward to a book called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tim Ferriss book. Yeah, yeah. Great book. Great book. Yeah, amazing book. So much wisdom. So much wisdom in there. But 
you know, like it's about respecting the the greats who came before you and learning from them and taking their stuff. I mean, you, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Mikey would say the same as much as there's been some pretty cool advancements um, and some pretty cool technologies to come along. At the end of the day, you got to grab some heavy shit and lift it, pick it up and put it down. Um yeah. You know, and, and I just don't give a rat's ass what your FMS score is. If you can't pick up shit, sorry, uh, you might have added out my language. On no, your, you can swear. On your podcast. But, you know, like it, it all comes back to, you know, the, the I sort of call it the core four, the pillars, you know. If you don't have a good squat pattern or derivative and a good deadlift pattern and a good push pattern and a good pull pattern, which for me includes your cleans, then, you know, you're you're building – you're building a house of cards. You're not building a house of substance. So, um, you know, I, I tried to, you know, find, it wasn't hard to find people that are way smarter than me. So, you know, I always seek guys out and, uh, um, you know, that, that includes in, in the industry, you know, when I was full-time in the NHL, um, it, it was really interesting that, um, I, I won't mention any names, but there were two guys who I'd see their names on, communications to all the strength coaches i'd go to their rink and ask for them and never met them ever 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 they never came to talk to me um guys would come to my rink and and i you know being italian you come to my house it's my job to look after you so you know is there anything you need do, do you need a water do you need some weights like let me take care of you do you have half an hour we can go grab a sandwich um you know uh what do you, what do you know? What are you reading? What have you learned? What's new? Make me smarter, make me better. And if I have anything, I'll share it with you. And so there were some guys, Mike being one of them, who was always an open book, very gracious, very humble, always willing to share. I knew he was way fucking smarter than I was. So any time I could spend with him was valuable for me. Um, you know, uh, Roger Takahashi in Vancouver was another guy like that, you know, brilliant and a great guy and a good human. And, uh, you know, so there was a few guys that I got to spend time with. A couple guys, I saw their names. I don't know, maybe they were unicorns or apparitions, but I never ever met them. They they just did not want to share. And um, either they figured out that I was too stupid to share anything with anyway, and I wouldn't understand it, or else they just, you know, some guys in the industry, uh, in general, I'm not talking about just the NHL, but in general, there are some strength coaches that think they've got you know, the magic bullet and they don't want to share anything with anybody. And, um, you know, we, nobody's invented anything in a million years. We, we all just keep learning from other people and sharing it. And that's how we get smart. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that would be one of the, my takeaways for anybody who wants to get into this industry or is in the industry, never stop learning that like never, never, <sighs> I'm 60 years old and, and I'm having more fun now than I ever have in this industry because there's so many more smart guys out there for me to learn from. And I realize, man, I got a long way to go. So um, I hope there's a lot of years left on this body and I can still hang around in the gym for a while and, uh, and be of use to people. Um, and, and, and that only happens because you surround yourself with, with giants, like Arnold said, right. So, um, and stand on their shoulders and get smarter. I think that's sorry. Did that answer your, your question? I, I don't remember where we started, but we love, we love long tangents. That was great. <laughs> and you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's your comments are worth their weight in gold, Pete. And, and you're very humble and you're modest. And it's always great to, we, we, you could, you can lose a lot if you have an ego and, and not open yourself up to learning from everybody that's out there. There's no secrets, you, you know, like all the work that you hear now that that's, being put out again for what the 20th time about Charlie's information and, and going back to Louis's information. You're right. It's, it's, it's rebranded. Somebody else is saying it a different way. Super training goes through all these iterations of people pulling things out of there now to make this new paradigm. But you know, you're right. You boil it down and, and you have these core competencies, you know, efficiencies, movement efficiencies or athletic efficiencies that you need to just need to be able to do. And um, it's, it's, it's priceless that you, you know, for as long as you've been in the industry, like you still see it. Right. And it, it makes a lot of sense. That's where, that's where the younger, the up and comers should also consider that not just what's out there today in the internet. Right. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, you know, internet can be a, a, a good thing. It can be a bad thing. You know, I've run into some young strength coaches recently, and I know if I took their phone away, they wouldn't be able to, you know, program a baseball game. Like they just, they're, they're lost without it. And um, there is some good content, but to me, it's the application. Um, you know, don't just pick exercises out because they look cool or sexy. Like, what is your goal? Did you find something that's going to help you meet your goal? Well, then great. Then knock yourself out and go use it. But, um, you know, every day doesn't have to be a circus act in the gym. You know, there's still, there's still value in the meat and potatoes. And, uh, and again, we have so many more iterations and varieties and how to apply, um, the basics, uh, in, in ways that, you know, help our athletes, especially our aging athletes, you know, like, um, I know uh, this year I'm back working with the Leafs organization and, and, you know, you were kind enough to send Jumbo our way, you know, like there's an old athlete who you got to treat him a little bit differently. There's a lot of miles on that body. And, uh, you know, you know, and uh, man, like you, you did a great job with him, man, getting him to where he was. And, um, you know, Patty Marlowe's another one of your guys, like they don't, they don't get to 1700 games and, you know, playing into their forties by accident, you know, they have to have good guidance. And that's where, to me, that's where, again, I'm a results driven guy, you know, the results speak for themselves. So never mind the formulas, never mind the textbooks, never mind what catapult says it's, you know, here, here's your best analytics right there. And uh, your best athlete measurement, you know, talk to your athlete, know your athlete and help create something that's working for that person. So, um, tell, Pete, tell us how, before, right, I guess before the NHL, like coming into, you know, the, the, the height of your coaching career was, was there a lot of hockey players in that area? Um, and were, were, was it more track athletes, like more power lifters? Like how did, how did it tell us like the evolution of, of yeah. So, you know, I I'm from Toronto. So, I mean, you know, we're the self-proclaimed you know, hockey capital of the universe. And uh, there was a million hockey players in Toronto, lots of really good hockey players in Toronto. Um, but man, when I started, hockey players didn't train. I can't tell you how many times, you know, Renzo, what, why bother? Like, you know, it takes a long stick to score from the weight room. I mean, I heard that over and over and over again. And what do you say to guys that have NHL contracts and really good careers going? How do you tell them they need to get in the gym? Maybe your career could be better. Um, and then how do you tell that to the younger guys that watch these guys that say, oh, no, I, I don't go to the gym. I, I golf all summer and, you know, go to the cottage. And then in September, we start to play hockey, you know. Um, so, man, we, we were cutting a lot of fresh ground back in the day. Um, and, and I was very fortunate, again, that, um, you know, the, the universe placed me around some really, really smart um, mentors, uh, from a very young age. And, uh, I, I was super cocky. You know, I was, I went to university of Toronto, um, you know, the, the Harvard of the North, um, very academically rigorous school. Uh, they think they're better than everybody because they're so smart. And you, you start to get indoctrinated. I was a pure and applied nerd when I first started, but I was also an athlete and, and I was training and, you know, for a while I was buying it that, you know, if I get these good grades at this good institution, well, it's, it's going to make me a great strength coach just because I'm, I memorized a whole bunch of shit, but I, I had these profs and people in the workforce that really cut me down to size, like in a healthy way fast and made me realize how much I didn't know. And they were great about, you know, yeah, that's great that you know this stuff and you're really far ahead, but dude, let me show you, like, let's get your head out of the textbook. And that was probably the most valuable lesson lesson I learned early on was um, there, a bunch of people have been attributed to having said this, including Albert Einstein, but basically, you know, don't let your education get in the way of your learning, right? So get your head out of your books um, and apply the stuff in a real world way and use your eyes, use your head, use your heart uh, when you're evaluating athletes and working with people and um, it's that age old saying, you know, like your athletes don't give a rat's ass what you know, if you don't give a shit about, 
And similarly, they don't care how many degrees you have and how many courses you've taken and how smart you are if you can't connect with them. And so, again, one of the biggest takeaways, if, if, if anybody wants to get into this profession, I would say is you got to know your shit. You can't bullshit people. Like guys will see through that real fast. NHL athletes are smart and they'll, they'll cut through your bullshit in a hurry. You know, you might fool them for a second, but uh, you can't fool them for very long. So you got to be solid in your material, but spend a lot of time on your own personal development, whether that's through life coaching or self-help kind of books, psychology, sociology, and learn about the world. You know, even if it's just from having conversations with your athletes. So when a guy says, I'm from, you know, freaking Massachusetts or I'm from Saskatchewan, you know, find out about where they're from so you can talk to them about home. And that might help you on a day when the athletes and, you know, maybe he's been H-bombed, you know, up to the press box for a few games in a row. He's uh, an impending free agent. Um, He's getting a heat score from his wife every night, like. And you're trying to help this guy through his career. He's got so many other things to worry about than how many push-ups you want him to do today. So, you know, if you can find little points of contact, all of a sudden it changes the relationship. And now, like, oh, yeah, what did you want me to do today, coach? Yeah, good, I'm all in. And then there they go. Like, you ask them for three push-ups and they'll give you five because all of a sudden they know that you care about them and they care about pleasing you. I mean, it's it's not a difficult formula really, but you got to spend time cultivating those abilities to really get ahead. And so, you know, Mikey, to your question, back when I started, there, there, there was hardly even any strength coaches. There was no such thing as the NSCA. There was like nothing. Um, so finding, you know, my education started by, you know, looking at magazines with Reg Park and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sergio Oliva and Franco Colombo and, you know, reading muscle and fitness and, you know, any of the muscular development, all these old magazines. That's how you started. Right. Um, Do you know and, any of those names, David? <laughs> I know. I know. I went down that route when I was, okay. when I was I've, I've trained at Gold's Gym in Venice. I, I know the drill. Just so the record, every Italian, no matter what, where they are, has a picture of, Jesus Christ, Hail Mary, and then Franco Colombo on the Columbo. ball. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. You got to have the picture right. of him blowing up a hot water bottle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right? That's core Wow. But, you know, so it, it was difficult, you know, getting into the industry. Even when I first started in the NHL, I was working with my brother at the time. We had a, a pretty good gig going with a bunch of pro hockey players in Toronto, and uh, two of them were young guys with the Red Wings. Um, So there was a fan fest or something going on in Detroit. And uh, um, we're down there working these guys out. They didn't want to miss their workouts. So um, um, I got to tell you, great Chris, I got a couple of great Chris Chris Draper stories I'll share in a second. But anyway, um, you know, down there working out in their, their weight room at the time, it was about as big as a kitchen table. And, uh, um, Barry Smith was one of the assistants with Scotty Bowman at the time. And Barry was way ahead of the game because he used to spend every summer in Europe, especially Sweden. So he saw that they were training. They were doing, you know, plyometrics. What are plyometrics? That was like the big thing, you know. And people used to throw that word around like it was some magical new invention. Um, And, you know, they did a lot of track work. And, you know, they were training over there. And he saw that. And you know, we were doing some stuff in the gym with Bobby Halkidis and Chris Draper, and he came out of his office or came through the gym on his way to FanFest and like, what the hell is going on in here? You know, and who are you guys and where did you learn this stuff? You know, because I was just over in Sweden and just saw that he called Scotty Bowman over and said, Scotty, Scotty, you got to come and see this, like what's going on. And um, Scotty didn't have a clue about fitness at the time, but Scotty was so smart and such a visionary that he knew it was probably going to be important. And uh, that's how we got our first start in Detroit. But it was just a part-time gig, uh, just some consulting. You know, you run some camps for them. You go in periodically. Uh, and otherwise, you're sending workouts. Um, and But there were no strength coaches in the league. I think Washington might have had a guy that was um, 
their athletic therapist and moved over to be their, their strength coach. I, I don't remember the story, never met the guy, um, but that was it, you know, and then there was a lot of growing pains there. I mean, the athletic therapist at the time around the league, they were also supposed to be responsible for strength. So, you know, all they knew about strength coaches is that they thought we were all knuckle draggers who wanted to be, you know, like Franco Colombo. And, um, you know, so they didn't want us around. Yeah, just the, the, the team docs didn't want strength guys around because they, they just didn't get it. And so it was hard breaking in, you know. And at that time, Detroit then went on a tear and started, a, you know, their, their run of four cups in 10 years. And, and so now it's even harder to argue for a full-time strength coach when the trophy case is filling up and you're having a parade down Woodward Avenue every year. So, you know, Detroit went from having one of the first strength coaches, even though it was in a very limited capacity, to being the very last team in the league to hire somebody full-time. So it took all the way to 2010 before uh, I finally started full-time down there. Um, you know, so you talk about some of the challenges there, like there it is, you know, teams, it's all about wins. So when you're winning, 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 and the, the franchise is so good. And it's not like the guys weren't working out. They worked out like animals, but they were, they had such good leadership that, you know, Draper and Iserman and you name it, like, you know, Chelly, those guys were the strength coaches, you know, they, they just, they went in every day and did the stuff and, you know, we were sending stuff in and some of them had stuff from their own trainers. Um, um, I've always wanted to meet, um, is it, is it J.R. Goodman, T.R. Goodman? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never met him, but I know he was Chelly's guy out in California and a few guys went to him. Um, so Chelly had some workouts from, from T.R. And, um, but man, the guys got to work and they just did their stuff. It was amazing. The culture there. So, Again, it was hard to to argue we need this guy here every day now, right? When they were just winning, 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 winning. So um, uh, it, it was it was a different time. But you know, you always I always felt like um, you know you talk about old school. I'm sort of proudly OG. You know, like I've been in a lot of circumstances where I had to cut new new ground and uh, and cut new territory. So. Um, well, you know, that, I don't know if I did a good job or not, but, you know, somebody's got to start chipping away at the wall first to open the gates for the other guys to come running through. So and that came with, you know, and to add context, David, like, like Pete said, he came in in 2010, probably at the tail end of when all of the, you know, the, the Hall of Fame Detroit team. Yeah, the Lindstrom's teams. Right. Right. From Zetterberg to Datsuk to, to Lindstrom to Cachelios and, and Pete came in at the time and then it was that young group was being needed to be cultivated so now it became you know um darren helm and then um with the young guy the guy from uh michigan state um well he's just an abdicator yeah abdicator and all those guys from michigan and so so they were coming on pete and and, right pete so now it became all right we got to reinvent the culture and we got to set the groundwork for training because you didn't have I still had Datsuk and Zetterberg and Cronwall and uh, Lidstrom, Tommy Holmstrom. There was still enough guys around uh, at the beginning when I went back full time. Um, uh, Drapes had just retired and moved into the head office. So he was still a great influence. Um, You talk about an absolute pro and just an animal. Um, You know, uh, he, he, he was... Oh, I, I was going to tell you that story. Well, here's a great story. Sorry to, to get off track here. But, you know, I mean, this is where the culture comes from. It was from guys like this. So Drapes, uh, his, his story's kind of really cool. He, as a 16-year-old, he skipped the OHL and went right to the Canadian national team. And at that time, there were no pros in the Olympics. So the Canadian men's team was mostly guys who had graduated from college careers and were looking as a, for a stepping stone and trying to have a pro career after college or university. Um, Drapes made that team as a 16-year-old. Dave King was the coach. They ran the program out of Calgary. Um, so he went there, then came back to junior as like a 19-year-old. Uh, he was Winnipeg's property, went to a training camp with Winnipeg. And I think they had like six or eight young prospects in. 
And again, this is back in the day when there was not much going on at all. This would have been around 1990, maybe 89, something like that, 89, 90. And anyway, um, they did some fitness testing. I think the GM there at the time was a guy named Mike Smith. And he, I think he had a physiology background maybe or something. So again, this was cutting new ground. So these guys go in, they do some fitness testing. He brings these guys in and said, these results are brutal. He brought in drapes specifically because he had a lot of, you know, uh, there were a lot of expectations for him to come in and be an impact guy, you know, um, and, and said, if you come back here in September, I will make sure that you never play pro hockey for the Winnipeg Jets or anywhere else in the NHL. So, and they sent a letter to their parents, called them home, like his VO2 was terrible and whatever they did at the time. It turns out that the tester screwed up. There was something wrong with the metabolic cart. Um, the numbers were all off. They calculated stuff wrong. So they had read the fear of God into these guys. Drapes came home. One of his buddies was already training with my brother and I and said, I got to get fit. So he came in. About six weeks later, he gets the call that, hey, the numbers are off and all this stuff, but he didn't give a toss. He was now so all in. He just came in, busted down the doors and said, I, I got to get to work. And ever since then, he was just like, he, he was an absolute animal. He could still play in the NHL. The guy, the guy's nuts. Um, how, how his competitive drive and his, his recognition of, of needing to get really comfortable being uncomfortable every day. And, you know, we had a couple of great discussions around that, that they didn't train so hard for when things were going good. I mean, you know what it's like, Mikey, when you get on a winning streak and you're in first place and things are good, the air tastes better, the Gatorade tastes better. Like it's easy when you've got some W's, like all of a sudden the strength coach is a genius and the medical staff are excellent. And, you know, the minute you have some losses, then all of a sudden the strength coach is a knucklehead. We got to stop working out and put police tape around the weight room. And yeah. right. Like, um, you know, you've lived that. So uh, it's for when things aren't going good that they realize this is where we got to sort it out. You know, this is where we got to find the answers to, to have that edge. And you know, the Stanley cup is arguably the hardest trophy to win in all pro sports. Like it's just a war of attrition. And you got to get there. You got to have some good luck for sure, but you got to have guys that are just willing to go to war, um, feeling like an absolute sack of hammers every day. You know, it's, it's probably like what, you know, when you read accounts of, you know, Bud's training is like, um, it's, it's probably that it's every day is just merciless punishment. And, uh, so if you're, if you're not training for that, you can't just, you can't just summon that out of nowhere. And, you know, and that's, that was drapes. That was draped to a T and a bunch of guys in that room. So um, it's gonna be, you know, it's made, gonna be, it made it made my job easy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got to be in your DNA. Like, yeah, if you're, I guess that's a scouting tip. Right? Yeah, yeah. I wish we could measure that a lot sooner, you know, because that's that's the biggest challenge, especially now. Eh? Like the the athletes are more entitled than ever, and and to to try to find that, um, it's hard. you know, and that's sort of that's sort of my. Uh, my beef with modern day sports science is it's the way it's being applied so much. I think, uh, and if, if I hear load management one more time, I'm going to throw up all over my computer screen here. It's <laughs> to me, it gets misapplied and, and everybody thinks sports science means let's find as much rest for our guys as we can. Let's find as many days off as we can. That's become in my experience, the practical application of what should be, useful information to help you do a better job with your athletes uh but keep them hungry and keep them humble and keep them accountable you got to keep their feet in the fire man again like you know if, if if we're not if we're not building strength so you know for example i was having a discussion with one of my colleagues the other day like i know a lot of teams will use the force plate and do you know like that mid-thigh pull or something well that's great and it's easy to administer but I want a guy that knows what it feels like to hold 600 pounds in his hands. Um, you know, you can, you can never deadlift all summer and then go stand on the platform and, and uh, you know, and do your mid thigh pull and you might get a decent score. Um, 
but you never had to hold that weight. You never had to get hardened for when we really need you to be hard and win that Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, again, that's where sometimes you have to blend. You've got to find ways to blend the advantages of sports science and, and all that it offers us now with, um, you know, some just some good hard training. Yeah, this is a, a similar discussion has come up a few times that that concept that what we learn through our practical experience, the actual the science and the research always takes a few years or decades to catch up to that. Right. And so just because we don't have yeah. just because we right now don't have the data to quantify, oh, this is intangible that makes a player just money in playoffs doesn't mean there's not a lot of validity to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to I shift gears a bit. I love there's a great article that you wrote on, on CanadianStrengthCA.com. We'll link in the show notes. I want you to uh, explain what the 5-10-5 rule is. Oh, man. So, and, and, and here's one um, that I learned the hard way for sure. Um, you know, and, and, and this is where I always say, because I'm old and I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, uh, I'm now entitled to have some opinions for sure. Um, so five ten five to me, it's simple. Um, when I first started, I thought I was the best strength coach in the world, and I was going to save the whole world, and everybody was going to be an absolute animal. And I kind of got tricked a little bit because I forgot that the guys who who find me and seek me out and come and see me in the summer, they already know that I'm fucking crazy. So they come looking for that and they want to, you know, be mercilessly beat on every day. And, but they sought me out. Right. So now you sign up to be part of a team and you, I'd forgotten that most of the guys didn't sign up to come to Renzo's fitness. They signed up to play for the Detroit Red Wings. I just happened to be part of the furniture that was there. So they never asked for me. I was just there. So I'm trying, you know, to, to, you know, get when I'm frustrated with guys that didn't have the same work ethic as Chris Draper, for example, or Steve Eiserman, it was like, fuck, like, how do I get these guys there? Like, I got to get these guys. I got to get these guys. So it finally took a while to sink in, but here's five, 10, five in any group or team um, on any team, you're going to have five guys who no matter what, usually they're the first guys in, in the morning, they come right to you and coach, what do I got to do today? And they're so all in, they just, they'll do whatever you ask them. Um, then you got about 10 guys that are kind of in the middle, right? They might come to the gym and say to their buddy, Hey, you know, Mikey, are, are you going to do this today? Are we going to do this? What do you think? Like, you know, sometimes they might want to have a little discussion with you about, yeah, I'm looking at the board today and I'm not sure if I really want to do the squat today. You know, my back's a little sore. Can I do something else? But they're mostly it. And then you've got five guys that no matter what are, you have to go find them. They're hiding somewhere. They don't want to come to the gym and you got to go get them. So I kind of call that the caboose. Every train's got a caboose. I used to spend so much time trying to get the five at the back to be like the five at the front. I just, I was doing a shit job with the five at the front, the guys in the middle, the 10 guys I was kind of forgetting about because I was wasting so much time trying to prove that I was so good to the whole world that I could get these five slugs and get them to the front of the train. Not going to happen. So again, for any young strength coaches out there, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time at the back. Every train has a caboose for a reason and it will always have a caboose and just leave those guys alone. They're not going to be worth the time and effort. Um, spend more time with the front for sure. Cause those are the guys who want to be there anyway and spend a good amount of time with the guys in the middle because you got a chance of getting some of the 10 to become part of the engine. And that will happen. Um, at best, the back five, you might get a couple of them into the group of 10. They're never coming to the front of the train. That's just the fact of the matter. So the sooner you accept that, um, the sooner you can do a better job uh, with your team. Um, that That's just been my experience over the years. Because usually those guys at the back, they're not going to be around very long anyway. Every once in a while, you'll get a a, a real uh, sort of uh, 
highly, highly coveted prospect who's got tons of skill uh, on the ice, but man, off the ice are they atrocious. And they're going to be given nine lives no matter what to make the team because their skill is so good. You're still going to have a hell of a time at the back. So you, you do your best. You do your best. But I just I, I don't waste an inordinate amount of time on those guys unless they show – it's almost – to me, it would almost be like um, – you know, when you see those addiction shows on TV or documentaries, somebody doesn't want help. There's nothing you can do that's going to that's going to change their mind. But if they make the move and finally say, hey, Renzo, can you show me that bench press today? Now you got a chance. Right. So, you know, give them a little bit of loving. Try to keep an open line of communication and open the door to them. But um, that's that's my five ten five. So, Renzo, not to put you on the spot, but um, it, it, with both of the teams that you were with, that caboose did you get support um from the coaches from management you know like I feel at times I'm like the big brother you know and and what the GM says whose dad you know goes you know what I mean yeah and so if I'm having trouble with the caboose I just like hey all right like I've told you a million times I told you to take the garbage out dad's gonna be pissed they don't listen yeah you know so like do you did you find you got support um and I guess not to put you on the spot but I guess is that where the support needs to come in our structure business or or wherever you know in this world of the nhl um i think i came at it a little differently mikey i think i always um i i tried to i sort of looked as a strength coach as the as the bottom of the food chain man like everything flows down and you know whether it's you know from the from the skills coach from player development from the head coach from the management from some scout from the players themselves, I just tried to create a room that was safe. So players felt safe to come in. Uh, They could vent about everything. They could tell me about how they're getting screwed, how the coach was a knucklehead, how the GM's a knucklehead, how the whole world's against them, blah, 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 blah. Uh, You know, they could tell me, you know, about the fight they had with their girlfriend the night before. They could tell me, you know, my line mates sucked, like whatever it was, right? Um, the meal was terrible last night. I, you know, I'm never going to eat that place again. I had a big box of Kleenex, helped them wipe their tears, blow their nose, and then tried to find a way to, you know, get them to put their big boy pants on and let's go and let's get to work. Um, some, sometimes I would tell guys, you know what, get out of here. You're done today. Uh, I don't want to see it. Like if it was that bad, um, you know, I, I sort of had this, let's make a deal thing too you know, uh, and told guys to start of the year. If something's going on, it might not be any of my business. If you need to make a deal and take a pass, you come play that card. I won't ask any questions. Um, and I can honestly say it never got abused. Like if I ever had a guy that was coming in to play that card every day or once a week, then I'd deal with that. But you know what? I only ever had guys who were always fully engaged were the, the guys who once in a while just said, hey, I need, I need to make a deal today. Um, and usually they would tell me the reason why, and it was always super valid in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and so much so that the guys, if you build a good relationship, they're like, Hey man, I need to take a pass today, but can I make the workout up tomorrow? You know, uh, we got a day off tomorrow. I want to do the workout. Can of, will you meet me here at the rink? That kind of stuff. So when you create those relationships, I think it makes it easier. So the guys at the bottom, yeah, I would, I would tell them like, look, this is what I've been told from, this is what the coach wants out of you. This is what management wants out of you. We got to try and do something here. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I just wouldn't bullshit guys. And I call it spade a spade and I can see you're not a gym rat. So you know what? You're never going to bench 500 pounds. That's fine with me. It's not about how much can you bench. It's about, can you get a little bit stronger so they can see that you're pushing guys around a bit more. You're not getting pushed off the puck, whatever it is, but I need you in here to do your work. I can't cover for you. Like I can't bullshit for you. Um, and again, try and make it personal. So I had a, a, a lot of success with getting the, the caboose, the bottom five into the gym, but I still wouldn't say that they ever turned into gym rats and, and animals. Um, it was rare that I ever had to involve, like I never wanted to rat a player out to a coach or management. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I had, you know, coaches who wanted to me to rack guys out every day and, and I just wouldn't, 
you know, I, I sort of felt it was my responsibility to exhaust every avenue I could. And if, and if I was getting heat about a guy, I would let a guy know, look, they're breathing down my neck about you here. So how can I help you? But I, I, I can't shield you forever. You know, um, that was the approach I took. Uh, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I seemed to get a lot of mileage. Um, and eventually you don't need to rat guys out because it shows up in so many other areas. Um, usually if a guy's going to dog it in your gym, he's probably going to dog it in drills. He's probably going to be the first guy off and the, the last guy on every day. You know, he's probably the guy who has the messy stall and leaves shit around and is driving the equipment guy crazy. He misses his, you know, physio appointments. So that gets taken care of. And then all of a sudden you didn't have to tell anybody, Hey, this guy just doesn't do his work. They usually create that. And then management takes care of it. So, um, again, I wanted to have a, a room that was safe that guys knew, you know, we were going to get shit done. Um, again, like I wasn't gonna, uh, I made no bones about who I was and what my expectation was. I mean, my philosophy was always somewhere. There has to be the hardest working team in the league. How about right here? Why not right here? Why can't we be the hardest working guys? Were we, I don't know. Cause I don't really know what went on in every other room, but in my mind every day, I tried to create that environment that we're going to be the hardest working team around. Nobody's going to work harder than we are on or off the ice or anywhere. And uh, I was just so blessed to have so many great guys come through that room with me. So you and I are similar in our approach to those, those, those caboose, I guess, as it relates to management, you know, the, yeah. The first thing you got to build is trust, you know, and especially with, especially with those guys who are difficult situations and don't really love our area, you know, and yeah. And, yeah. When you can build the trust and have conversations like man to man, pull them in the office one on one and, and, and try to get them to work and, and get them to, to move the needle a little bit in the positive direction. And, and to be honest with them, I, I've used it. I, I go about it that way. And, and definitely be completely honest with if I'm getting, you know, heat on me, then I just tell them, Hey, this is where it is. I'm, you know, you know, you're getting heat on you. I'm getting heat on me. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta rectify yeah. it. You know, and I'm a resource. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a rat and mm -hmm. I'm not move you in the wrong direction. So. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's, you know, it's educating them as to, as to why you think, you know, it, it, it's funny. Like, um, I, I did a lecture not too long ago um, up here for some U of T students. And one of the themes they wanted me to talk about was this, you know, sexy new athlete centered coaching where you're supposed to bring the athlete into the, the circle and all that stuff. For me, it's not new because building personal relationships with your athletes has been at the core of what I've done forever. And I learned that from some guys a million years ago. I mean, that starts, I think, with my parents and teaching you how to relate to people and care about people and put other people's needs above your own and all that stuff first. So we already did that. But in my opinion, athlete centered coaching is the coach says the athlete does end of story. And, you know, this isn't house league. This isn't boy scouts. It's not, you know, everybody gets a participation shirt at the end of the day. This is professional sport. So <clears throat> nobody said it's going to be fair. Nobody said it's going to be easy. It's a, pretty fucked up profession. I mean, uh, to be a pro athlete, um, there's all kinds of, all kinds of hurdles you got to cross. Uh, and it's not the same road for everybody. So just, just accept it. It is what it is. Um, and you know, how, how are you going to step forward, uh, and, and man up or woman up and get it done, you know? Um, and again, that comes from building trust. So, you know, I tell people I've been so blessed because, I'm just like a social animal. I love, I love people. I love finding out people's stories. I love trying to help people, you know, achieve things that they never thought were possible. Right. Um, and so being, you just come by it honestly. Right. And, and so being effective in the gym, uh, I, I'd never be a good sports scientist. Uh, like I'll tell you straight up, like uh, I I'm bored to tears, collecting data. I hate crunching numbers. I, I don't like technology. It, it's just not who I am. So I got to be authentic. I'm a gym rat. That's what I do. Um, and I, and I love to connect with people. So I need smart people who can get me the data 
that I can then use with my guys. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get down on our hands and knees and get a little bit dirty and get this stuff done. Um, that's where I spend my time. And that's, that's how you help these guys. And, and again, it doesn't take long if you are sincere and honest about connecting with people. Um, you can, all of a sudden it changes the nature of your relationship with those guys that never wanted to come and see you in the first place. Now they'll hang around your room a little bit. And to me, that's a victory. You know, um, again, they're not getting all kinds of work done, but they're, they're, they're doing more than you ever thought they were going to do. And they're doing way more than they ever expected that they would do because they came in thinking they were going to do zero because that's who they were. And, uh, you know, they never needed to do it before. Why do I need to do it now? And blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, uh, that just is what it is. We'd be uh, we'd be missing a, a great part of your your knowledge if we didn't ask. Uh, what did you find worked really well in the NHL? Like taking all your experiences and with the type of athlete and what they need. What what are some of the things that you found some successes with? Like your if you had to put it in your tool belt and at your next NHL job, if if you even wanted another NHL job, <laughs> you know, like what what would you say some of the best things that you got the most results from for your for your guys? So I've tried to apply a really bastardized version of, of uh, the conjugate training method. Um, and the reason I was saying that is because um, our off-season to in-season in pro hockey, you know, now you got to remember we're talking about a hockey season here. This doesn't apply to a, you know, a quadrennial single sport athlete or you know, single event athlete, like a 100-meter runner, for example, where you can plan out their training and you have way more training versus competition. So for hockey, if we're really lucky, we might get a 12-week off-season. I shouldn't say lucky because that means you sucked and you didn't make the playoffs. Um, but you might get 12 weeks, up up to 16 weeks in the summer um, versus, you know, nine months in season. So this concept of uh, in-season maintenance, it, to me, is is ridiculous. Because that just means we're not going to do very much work here, you know, and we're, and we're going to give you lots of rest. So why bother to train in the summer to acquire some strength that you're going to lose in a couple of weeks anyway, if you don't keep giving some doses uh, to, you know, give the right stimulus to keep it going through the season. So um, for me, I wanted to uh, end the season at least as strong as you came in. Now, if you're making big gains in the season, you probably had a bad summer or um, you're a guy who, who doesn't play very much and you can spend more time in the gym. Uh, but for your guys that get lots of minutes, there's no reason why they can't come in and um, at least leave at the same strength they came in with. So now I can keep building. But if I have to start every summer and spend six to eight weeks to get you back to where you were the year before, and now I've got, three weeks, four weeks left to try to make some kind of gains to then bring you into a season where we're going to do maintenance and just lose everything again. I'm not doing the athlete any justice. I'm going to have management breathing down my neck because year on year, they're going to say, this guy hasn't improved at all. Right. And, um, you know, we, we want to, again, you need hammers. You need guys to, to still work throughout the season. And, and as screwed up as the schedule is, I know Mikey and I talked about this, one time way back where, um, uh, you know, how screwed up the hockey schedule is from a performance perspective. It has nothing to do with performance. It's pure entertainment. And they fit the games in where it makes the most sense to make the most revenue for the league. So um, we're, we're really scrambling to try to periodize something in there. And so that's why I love conjugate, because you're always working on strength and speed which is the most important elements in my, in our game, in my opinion. Um, and you can give, you know, if you stay right on it, right from training camp, you can, you can give, especially as your athletes get older, a good dose that's not going to have any residual fatigue or central nervous system fatigue that's going to affect their performance. Um, so in general, that would be the answer. So I try and apply that kind of method um, throughout the year. And, and so for me, that was a game changer was, was learning Louis stuff and how they use it. 
Um, another thing that I found, um, and this is a hard sell, even to this day. Um, I, I know I, I, I took a job back with uh, the Lisa Marley's organization this year in a mentorship role. Um, but I got to spend a lot of time mentoring players as well as the strength coaches and trying to get guys into pregame lifts. Um, one, I think it really helps performance. And number two, especially with the NHL schedule, I way prefer to get a pregame lift in than a postgame lift. I thought the postgame lift sucked. My main reason for using them was um, to try to max out the recovery going forward. So if I could get them after the game, give them a little dose to max out some recovery the next day, you know, because then maybe we're going on the road the day after again, or that's where I would use the, the post-game lifts. But you're so limited because guys are tired mentally and physically. Um, it was always easier to do a post-game after a win for sure. Um, and if a guy had a good night, it was easy to get a better performance in the gym. But, you know, you can't do any unilateral leg work after a game, in my opinion. The, the guys are just so sloppy. They're, even the low-minute guys, they're just not there. And, and asking them to do anything where they have to really mentally engage, which we're trying to do most of the time, have their training be intentional and not just give them workouts, that's way harder after a game. There's so many things going through their mind. Why didn't I get that guy in the half wall? Why did I only get four minutes? Why did I get scratched after the first period? Why didn't I bury that one? Why did Kerry Price rob me? Why did, why, 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 you know, um, you know, fuck, I'm never going to get a contract. I'm going to be sent back down. Like, so post game really isn't ideal, but you use it effectively and judiciously, I think where you need. So trying to get the pre games going um, is such a challenge. Uh even to this day, I haven't, I haven't found a, a great way that works for a lot of guys. Um, so I'm constantly, and if you, if you have a, a, you know, if you got the magic bullet there, Mikey, I, you know, send it my way, man, because uh, that's one that I, I love. Um, and again, I, I think for so many reasons, it makes sense for us. Um, I love doing, you know, those good old Russian complexes. I mean, the fancy, fancy literature now talks about PAP, but man, those, Russian complexes. I mean, I first learned those back in the early 1980s when I was working with the, the Canadian bobsled team and got to learn some real legit training. Like, again, I was talking about there was so few strength coaches around here to learn from in North America. Um, the the Russian and East German guys, I mean, this is, you know, back behind the Iron Curtain days, they, they were happy to talk about training uh, and show you training stuff. Um, so, uh, that that part of it was great when it came to obviously training secrets related to bobsled forget it but um man like they they were doing a lot of that stuff prior to um you know and bobsled's an explosive sport you know it's a, it's a fucking four second sprint and so uh their workouts were all you know speed power based prior to the event you know so while we're on, while we're on the topic of rush i i that's what i was going to say before i was thinking of um of Pavel, because you're talking about what works. So, so I had Pavel Datsuk, and I called him the Rain Man. Like he just, when it came to hockey, man, he was so beyond everybody else. Like I think he was bored to tears half the time, um, and had to invent ways to keep himself engaged. You know, um, I, I would watch him in practice every day, every day, every day. He would rope guys into playing keep away, and. Uh, you know, he would call on guy after guy after guy, two guys, three guys, five guys, seven guys. And that's where he honed his craft, man. Like, and he understood intuitively because I asked him one day and he just said, you know, there's nothing on the ice I haven't seen. And and it was in his subconscious because he'd done it so many times in practice. You know, a puck here, a guy stick here, skates here, guys, three guys, four guys around me. And so you'd watch him in a game in real time do you know that's why he was the magic man right he was a wizard out there but he he just knew how to practice it but in the gym um you know you talk about what works what are some things that work he he sat back he worked real hard and he would watch me working with the guys but he wanted to do his own thing and my approach with these guys was so my first season full-time with Detroit the season had already started and they didn't bring me in until the season was already 10 games old so I can't come in with like a training camp mentality and say, okay, here I am. This is who I am. This is what we're going to do. It's, you know, 
I'm going to be in this room over here. You need anything, you come let me, you know, let me know and we'll go. And I just sort of very gently eased my way in. It didn't get in their face about anything. And, you know, one by one guys started coming in more and more and more and trying to figure out what's going on here. And um, Pav would just sort of sit back and watch and watch and he would do his work and he worked like a savage. I mean, he, he worked so hard off the ice, but he would just watch and watch and watch, but never participate in anything that I had set up. I didn't care because the guy was playing great and he was doing lots of good stuff. I just let him be. And then finally, oh man, this went on for a few months. And then finally he said uh, to me one day, he goes, Renzo, what we do tomorrow? I said, what? He goes, tomorrow, you give me workout. Okay, I'll give you a workout. So I went, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to plan the perfect workout. This is Pav. I got to impress the guy. I got to blah, 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 blah. So I planned this workout, put it on the board comes in, Renzo, what we do today? Well, I was thinking, you know, we would do this and then this and this and then this. And he looks at it and he goes with the first one. Yeah, I, I like that. But how about instead we do this? And for the second one, yeah, yeah, I like it. But how about instead we do this? And the third exercise, the fourth, same thing. Anyway, he winds up substituting what I had and then he writes down his same seven exercises. And everything he did, it was seven exercises, three sets of 10 every day the same thing when he came into the gym so you know then the next day Renzo what we do today okay well I thought we would do this and this and this and this yeah I, I like that but how about we do this and I like this but how about we do this I like and we're back to his workout again so finally day three I'm like okay you motherfucker so Renzo what we do today and I write down his workout and he gets a big smile on his face and he does it right and then the day after, I was able to sneak one. He actually asked me, he said, what did you do yesterday with the guys with the ball and the, I forget what it was. And we added one exercise. But over all the years, I could never get him off of seven exercises and three sets of 10. That was just his thing. He was so rigid in his structure, in everything that he did. He was very superstitious. But man, how do you argue with performance? Again, like, uh, I'm all about results. And, and the guy was great. So I managed to get him to switch up his exercise routine a little bit. Uh, I would always include some of his favorites for sure. And, uh, and he was just such a pleasure to work with, man. But, you know, like I, I could see if I was much younger when I first started with him, maybe having, you know, Mikey, you said before, ego is your worst enemy, right? Like that's a great book, by the way, isn't it? Ego is the enemy. Right, right. By Holiday. Fantastic. Yeah, great book. Great book. Um, All kind of stuff, really. Obstacles, you know, like I would have had too much ego when I was younger and would have battled him on. No, no, no. I'm the strength coach and you got to do this. Right. You can't, man. You got to meet guys on their turf and then earn their trust, earn their respect. Then they start asking you for more. And, uh, you know, that was a that was a great example of that. I remember when you asked me that before, Mikey, that that popped into my brain. But what a guy, what a guy like just he was relentless and. You know what? You might go to the textbooks and say, why are you doing seven exercises and three sets of 10? Like, it's funny. I never give anybody 10 reps of anything ever. And um, even in my own workouts, I never do 10. I'll do nine. I'll do 11, but I'll never stop at 10. And it's because, you know, when I first learned and you, and you read all the bodybuilding magazines, everything was three sets of 10. Then you go to university and everything is three sets of 10. Do this exercise, three sets of 10 is a great number, right? It's, it's a great number and it's useful when you're in that middle of, you know, some strength and some hypertrophy. But I thought after all these years, like if, if, if I'm supposed to have more experience and be any smarter than anybody, I can never give three sets of 10 of anything. So I'm always on my young strength coaches, like fucking use your brain, like give eight, give 12, give it like, give something, but like not 10. 10. Like, Pretend you're thinking of you something. Know? Oh, God. Like, you know, and um, that's sort of the bane of my existence anyway. So it can't be three sets and it can't be fucking 10 reps. But um, it, it's funny because I'll catch myself too. Like sometimes in my own workouts, I'm gassed and I'll get to eight and I'll go, man, if, if I can't get to 11 or, you know, I, I better not get stuck at 10. So you better make a decision here if you're going for it or not, because it'll just mess with me like crazy now. But so if you're not Pavel Datsuk, Everybody listening cannot. Do yeah. That. <laughs> well, um, Pete, this has been so much fun. There's so much we didn't get to. We didn't even get to some of the, the Eastern 
Eastern Bloc influences. Uh, so I, I think this is a good place to, to close our, our round one, round one conversation. Um, you have any, any parting words, places where people can reach you if you're reachable? Um, any, anything else just to wrap up? Yeah, just shine a bat light up in the sky if you need me and I'll come find you. Um, no, um, yeah, I'll share my info with you, I guess. Can you post it somehow? Yeah, or, yeah we, can, um, we can put it in the show notes on the website. Yeah, yeah. So if, if anybody needs to, yeah, feel free to, to send that out. Um, and uh, no, man, it's, it's good. Just read, read, read. I'll send you a list of some of my favorite. Uh, yeah, we have, a, we have a lot in common with uh, a lot of our, uh, a lot of your favorite books, a lot of my favorite books as well. I love oh, yeah. stoicism stuff, Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss. Um, yeah, that, yeah. that list will be great, Pete. Yeah. Trillion dollar, coach. Trillion dollar Coach is my latest I just grabbed. Um, what is it? I haven't finished it. Trillion Dollar Coach. You got to get that book. Yeah. It's awesome. I'd also um, like some recs on some of the, in particular, which Louis Simmons resources uh, you found most helpful because I think that's that's oh, a piece that you our... know what his stuff is not. Um, you got to make sure you're in a good space and clear of mind because it's not an easy read by any stretch. Yeah, um, especially a lot of those translated Russian manuals that he's got. Um, but you know what I think is it is it called the West Side Barbell Methods or yeah. something? Yeah. It's yeah. a good place to start because it. It does a, a, a pretty good explanation of conjugate and how they use it. Um, and then maybe it's called the West Side Book of Methods. I forget. Um, that's a great place to start. But there's there's so many even, uh, I think, articles on there. And, uh, and um, Dave Tate, who, of course, was a disciple of Louis, um, he's got a lot of good articles of um, uh, intro to conjugate. Um, and, and the only thing you got to remember when you read that is it's based on guys who do three lifts and three lifts only. And the accessories are all about helping those three lifts. Right. So, um, you know, you got to this is where you got to use your brain or you talk to a smart sports scientist or a smart strength coach like Mikey and say, OK, how do I take this and use it for hockey and uh, or football or baseball or whatever, you know, your sport is that you're using. But, um, yeah, there's some there's some good information on there um, to get started. Right. There's some good um, articles, West Side for Athletes, too. They, they've kind of... Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's some really... There's some yeah. Really good we'll be sure and if you're in Ohio, um, if you're in Ohio, Shane Sweat is in uh, Cincinnati, I believe. Um, I think it's Jim's called The Sweat Shop. Guy's brilliant. What a great guy. Um, but like I said, he and his wife, Laura Phelps, have a gym out there. And, uh, you know, so if you're in Ohio area, you want to learn how to do conjugate... And, and you can't get to Louie because it's kind of tight now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it'd be a good place to start, too. We'll be sure to link to as much as we can in the show notes. Thank you both so much. This is a really fun conversation. Looking oh, man. Time went so fast. Yeah. Let's do it again. Hour 20. So this is a lot of fun. Wow. Thanks, Renzo. Sorry about, about the language. No, don't apologize. It's, it's part of your it's part of your charisma so i appreciate it all right see you boys thank you thank you thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode as always you can find links to everything discussed at the official website of scaf prohockeystrength.com there you can find hundreds of articles programs videos whatever else is related to training podcasts it's all there it's all on the site so head on over to prohockeystrength.com talk soon